You are tuning in to Bless for This Mess. And what I know about episode 19, it is going to leave your heart completely fulfilled. To hear all of the moms that I bring on today's panel, we've got a panel of five of us total, four moms, special ability moms that I bring alongside me today in today's episode. And here's what's incredible. All different walks of life, all different journeys, different struggles, different fears, and different perspectives, but in some way it has somehow united together. And really we all have the same perspective as we want more for our child, right? And so we're gonna dive in today on the struggles, the fears, the words that were spoken over our journey, how we're unwriting some of that, and just navigating some of the struggles, the comparison game that always plays in, especially in today's age and social media. You've got a couple moms that are stay-at-home moms, some incredible kick-butt entrepreneur moms. Nonetheless, we are all moms that are wanting to thrive and teach our children that they are fully capable of thriving based off of the love of a mom, the love of a family, and just the desire to help our child receive more and give more than what was ever spoken over them. So you are going to be incredibly blessed today. Again, if you have not yet subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. You'll get notified as well as leaving a rating and review. I know you're going to be blessed by today's episode and it's so important that we're connecting with these moms and telling them what connected from their stories. And I'm just so grateful that they're taking the time out of their day to open up and get vulnerable, right? And sometimes that's really hard. And so to get vulnerable and be transparent and say, hey, here's my struggles. I want to face this with you. I want to share this with you because you probably feel the same exact way. And there aren't enough people saying, hey, I'm right alongside you, but I want to help you elevate from that. That's what you're going to get today. So um, Taylor, if you want to like kind of talk a little bit about um, your story, just introducing yourself, um, that way just people listening in have a better idea of like, Okay, we have five of us on. Yeah, five. I'm like, you know, we have five of us on, and there is a unique thread of like why I have all of you guys on. So if we can just kind of get some introduction, so people listening, they're not always going to be able to see us. Like, who are we as moms, or as just a person in general? Because obviously, we're not just a mom. Like, we're our individual selves too. But like, what is a like small little piece about yourself? I'm Taylor. Um, I am here in California in the, um, I guess it's a something. I don't know. We're new to the area. Um, we just moved here in March. Um, I have a daughter who is two. And right when she was born, we realized she had in our So technically she is deaf in one ear, um, which does not affect her whatsoever. Um, she's still thriving. And then two weeks later, we discovered, uh, we got a call that she was diagnosed with adrenal leukodystrophy, which is called ALD. Um, and I guess we'll go more into that. Um, and then I also own Fit for Mom Vacaville, so I help other moms find the strength in motherhood. And it's been the best thing ever to find my village. <laughs> That's about it. That's so awesome. I'm really proud of you too, because I think to be able to be in a position where you're kind of, I mean, if you guys have seen like my recent post talking about like being in this field of not really knowing the path to go and then to not only be in a position where you're like literally like what you're facing with your daughter um, to be like, 
no, this is so rare that like nobody really knows what's going on. But not only am I going to face this, but I'm also going to press into the new community that I have and establish a village of moms that we can thrive together and be healthy and, you know, just get after. I think that that's really awesome. So I'm really proud of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That, a bunch of I don't knows, you know, from specialists just really gets to you. So it doesn't being around other moms who get it. Yeah, that's super important too. And we'll talk about that because I think that's one of my favorite things. Like when you're in the middle of like kind of, the knowing and like yeah. understanding all of it, I think it's really important. But um, Sonia, what about you? If you wanted to share a little bit about yourself. Sonia, I live in Southern California with Mark, my fiance, my daughter, Malia, who's nine, and Kanan, who is, sorry, I just climbed a bunch of stairs too. <laughs> Kanan, who is going to be two in December. He was diagnosed with Angelman syndrome in July, but we've known since about February that he had it. We just had to wait for a test to come back. So let's see, who am I outside of a mom? I am, well, I'm 33 and I like to crochet, like I said earlier. Um, yeah, I like to hang out, watch football. Sunday is all about football, God, football family. In that order, but no, and William football are equally important. And yeah, there's really not much. What about you, Crystal? Miss Singer, you're so fabulous, by the way. And by the way, if those who are just listening to the podcast, this girl like could like blow you with the wind with those eyelashes because they're fierce. Stop <laughs> with the eyelashes. Yes. Hey, we need to celebrate these moments. I'm just saying. Like, a girl is- gets her lashes done for the first time and everyone wants to make a big deal. Yeah, um, and I'm <laughs> sure I'm getting red. Stop. <laughs> I'm getting red for you. Your um, probably photo album in your phone is like different angles. Like I literally have like 72 selfies and it's like my first set of selfies because everything else is my daughter. But I just felt myself so good today. I put makeup on. I was like, I'm going to church looking nice. <laughs> no, I'm here for those moments because I think it's really, really easy for us moms, just in general, moms, just in general, super easy to like slack on us because obviously we wear so many hats mm-hmm. and like, it's so easy to say, I'll take a shower later. And then what happens? We don't show up on a video conference like that. Right? Yep. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, I am so for you. Like, I'm celebrating you 100%. So sorry, not sorry. Oh, no. Thank you. But Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. um, Well, as you guys know, my name is Crystal. And um, I have a daughter. Her name is Riley. She's two years old. She was diagnosed at pregnancy um, with spina bifida and hydrocephalus. Um, they told me to abort because she would come out fully paralyzed slash brain dead, but I have a bigger God than that. So I put all my faith in him. Um, she does have a few, you know, ups and downs, but she's absolutely, absolutely amazing in my life. Um, she's not fully paralyzed. She's just paralyzed ankles down and, um, she is delayed in walking, but she's just absolutely amazing. And other than being a mom to my little warrior, um, I am a worship leader on Sundays at church. I graduated with my bachelor's in psychology because I actually wanted to work with um, 
children with disability and it's funny that my daughter has one because I'm like, yeah, I'm working for free. I love it. <laughs> um, but she's absolutely amazing. And I don't know when you, it's so funny. Cause when you ask like, Oh, how's, what about Riley? Speak about Riley. I can like tell you a book, but when you're like, Oh, so what about you? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. No, I really get it. That'll be something hopefully through this, we can start kind of breaking down those walls and being like, Oh wait. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. All right, girl, we saved you for last for a reason. What's up, girl? Oh, no, that's too much, too much pressure. Um, so I am Jahira. I'm uh, 29 years old. My last year of my 20s, crushing my soul. Um, I have two little ones. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, Melania. Um, she was diagnosed with um, Tetralogy of Fallot, which is a heart condition, um, post-pregnancy. Uh, um, so we found out a couple of days after she was born um, that she would need heart surgery. We did not know prior to. Um, but other than that, she was um, healthy at the time. We had a lot of complications with her. Um, but right now she is thriving. Um, we've had a long course with her. But um, as of right now, her heart is stable. Um, and we're going from there. I have a five-month-old also. It'll be six months in seven days. Um, and he's just a big old man. Um, but yeah, about me. Um, so I am, I work from home. Um, before that I was a medical assistant, um, for like six, seven years. Um, and I was actually in school for nursing. I was going to be a nurse, which again, when you were talking, like things always connect because when I was in nursing school, I was always, I was learning and I wanted to be in pediatrics. Um, and then when everything happened with my daughter and I went um, into the hospital, I like knew a lot of the things and I was able to advocate for her so much like better than I think I could have if I didn't know anything because it was just like sprung on me. Um, so that was, I was so grateful for that. Um, but now I work from home. I do health and fitness. Um, I've been doing that now for like six years. Um, so I'm grateful. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Crystal. I literally can't talk about myself as much as I can talk about my kids. So <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I um, And really why I brought all of you guys on is because we have such different paths, but like there's so much passion behind like how we operate as moms that is like so profound to me. I really love the fact that I've been able to get to know all of you at different levels, obviously, and some of you I've met in person, some of you I have not. And so, um, but like really just like how you guys have operated as a mom and just like how you speak over your children is like, to me, that is like super powerful. And I think one thing that you guys had mentioned was really talking about like what the doctor was saying was gonna be your child's life, right? This diagnosis that they give, which obviously they have to sometimes give like the medical worst case scenario. And I feel like from my experience and just hearing other people's stories that they've shared with me, a lot of what I hear is they don't necessarily word it to me the most proper way. It's usually so your your child will never walk or talk rather than saying, hey, what we have seen in this syndrome is typically this is what it looks like. But we're going to give you as many resources as possible to hope, hopefully like allow you guys to like go beyond that. Right. So like immediately what I noticed as a 21 year old, which I'm just really thankful that I had a stronger foundation at the time, but 
I noticed that there was this word already heavily placed on my child before she really even got her life started, that basically she was not going to do anything and she was going to have no purpose. And so for me, I really would like to pick your guys' brains and just allow you guys to talk. I'm not going to like pick you guys. I just want you like, if you feel like you're ready to talk or whatever, but just how you're navigating. And I think this is a process too, but how you navigate going from listening to what the doctor says versus what you as a mom, like your instinct is with your child versus like maybe what comes from your faith and like how you're operating that or how their, their words have played into the role of your guys's journeys. If that makes sense. Um, so my daughter, she was born, uh, right when they put her on me, she has, uh, microtion artresia, which she is missing the hole to her ear, um, and was born with a smaller ear. So that, uh, we went through a lot of testing. Um, there's definitely a lot that could happen in the future. Um, but right now she's thriving and, um, we've been told she's deaf and I, I don't really see a difference in it. Um, as far as her ALD goes, I mean, we've seen genetics, which basically, pushed us to the curb because she's a girl and it does affect uh boys a lot differently because it's an x-linked chromosomal disorder um so i guess since we have another x-link to fall back on we don't you know women don't get affected until their second or third decade which could be traumatic at that stage um so i guess that pushed me to do a lot more research and change you know ways of care for her so now we're going to a different specialist um and it just, it's hard because I guess this is the struggle is that she looks normal and that everybody thinks, you know, I, nobody knows what we go through. And that's a huge challenge is because she looks normal. She's thriving. Um, but little do they know what we're going through. Um, and I guess that's why I'm glad that some other, you know, a lot of other people go through the same thing is that, you know, kids who look normal and act normal still can suffer with a you know, a disorder or something like that. And I mean, it's hard. It affects the whole family. Um, and I guess I'm just trying to build more awareness for it. Um, so I, you know, moms definitely help because I have, I actually have members in my fit for mom group. Uh, one of them does have a son with spina bifida. So it does correlate with crystal, um, which I'll have to connect you to. Um, and I just see that I would have never guessed her son had the same thing. And it just, we connected because he looks normal, but I know that they're suffering with all of what they have to deal with, with specialists every day. Um, so it just, I guess just moms help the whole situation, <laughs> make things a little bit easier. Um, yeah. I guess my experience, because I knew from, um, pregnancy and a lot of the times this is when like the doctors give you that decision to abort because they give you all the negativity of like what your child is going to come out like and exactly like you stated Annie instead of saying these are you know characteristics characteristic that can happen <clears throat> it was more so this is going to happen because we've seen it in multiple cases um but I guess my advice um, from what I've been through is to not necessarily listen to what the doctors say. Yes, take what they, they're knowledgeable, right? They went to school for this. So there's a matter of respect of them knowing. 
um, everything, but they don't know everything because they've not, they didn't live it. They don't know what we go through as mothers and, um, everything we sacrifice for our children, but they don't also know that, that the love of a mother and the love of a parent can overcome everything that a doctor says. Um, so my advice for women who are pregnant with a child with a diagnosis or women who have had their child and were diagnosed after is to go off of just your love, go off of you as a mother, because even the hardest of, of challenges can get over, can't overcome, overcame. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> can be overcome with, um, with just the love of a, of a mom and, and that something that seems like it's impossible, it's, it's not impossible and you can overcome it and you will overcome it. Um, it's just your new life, your new journey and you adapt to this new journey. Yeah, I also think, too, it's like your mindset. It's like, okay, am I going to just like, again, just like, okay, cool, not cool, but like, okay, this is what is being spoken over my child. Do I now just accept that? Or do I say, okay, that's what you may say as a doctor, and maybe that's what you feel like you have to say, because you have to almost give me the worst case scenario. But as a mom, my gut, my heart, my love is going to say, I don't accept that. I don't accept that spiritually, emotionally, like whatever. And I'm going to do whatever I can as the mom, like you were saying, Crystal, like this love is like, you can't explain it as a mom. Like the love is so intense that you're like, I will freaking move that mountain with one little finger. If I have, you know, like whatever it is, like, you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And obviously, you know, it comes from different sources, but it is true. It's like, as a mom, like the love and even as a dad, just a family, like, if you guys are really on the same page and you understand like the vision that you have, like your child could literally just surpass anything that's spoken over them, but you just have to be super intentional about it. So I love that you talk about that. So I guess for me, um, was a little different because I didn't know, um, before I gave birth. Um, so my daughter came seven weeks early. Um, so that in itself was a shocker. Um, but on, we didn't find out until a couple of days. So she came out and she was, she looked as we would say, normal. There was nothing physically wrong with her. Um, so they brought her to the NICU and it was kind of just a normal, like NICU kind of uh, stay. And it was meant for her to just grow and go home um, until they heard the murmur. And that's when, you know, the the pediatrician I was on call said, you know, I think it's, you know, nothing to be concerned about, but we're going to run some more tests to just be sure. Physically, she didn't have any symptoms of a heart-conditioned child. Um, she was super pink. She was big. she was a solid four pounds. She was thriving. She was eating. So there was nothing that was like physically impairing her that would cause them to be concerned. Um, and I remember when I got the call, um, they were like, "Well, uh, I'm really, really sorry to to let you know that your daughter has this heart condition and she's gonna need surgery." Um, and it kind of I don't know if it just like. I don't know if anyone else went through that, but like, I like didn't feel at first, like it was very factual for me as soon as I heard it. And I don't know if it comes from just being a mom or if it comes from the medical field. I honestly have no idea, but I just know that I got the news and I just like was very straight matter of fact with it. And even they were like, what is wrong with her? Um, because I was just like, okay, now what? And I think I just didn't process it properly. So I was just like, okay, now what? And I, and I listened to it and I kind of took it and I'm like, okay, 
So, you know, at that point, I think, you know, like you guys said, advocating for her was a big thing for me. Um, we didn't allow any family members to come visit personally. And that was, again, a choice of us wanting people to see her like a normal kid, um, you know, not putting I didn't want them to see her at any stage of this journey where they would be like, oh, poor her. Like that was not what we wanted for them. And I and my like not even my mom came to visit. Like it was to that point where I just wanted no one to see her other than this little perfect princess that you guys see because that's what she is like that was our intention and we kind of just went with that and even like she had once she had her surgery um she went through a really rough course and she ended up having to get on basically like a form of life support for about five days um she couldn't get off of the machines and basically we were told that if by day five she wasn't off of it the likelihood of her dying was like significant because on the machine you can get clots um so there was like like when i say an entire machine about the size of that box and there was one person specifically dedicated to this machine it was petrifying to know that this one person was like in charge of my daughter's like life um so that was like a big thing for us and and just advocating that you know we only wanted positive people i kicked nurses out i kicked doctors out i didn't care who you were if you came in and you already had a bad attitude that like like you didn't come in with a positive spirit I gave you the, I was like, get out, like, find me somebody else. I don't care. You're going to come in with a positive. Like, if I'm not letting my own family come in here, you're going to come correct. And we did nothing but like play positive music for her. She listened to Stephen Furtick every day. We were playing no games with this girl. Like, and although it was hard, it was something that we were just like, it's not happening. Like, it's just not happening. And, you know, in the state, like I even took pictures to remember, like people are like, you're sick, but like to remember the miracle that I was given, like, she had like an open chest. Like I can physically see her heart. Like that was how sick it was. Like, it was like, I can physically see a heart. And like, to know that that happened and I was advocating for her, like, no, like, and I think that's a big thing for me. It's like, who are you allowing in your kid's space was a big factor in it. And I think like, if I would have just allowed like a doctor who didn't believe that she was going to make it through come by, then I feel like that energy could have played a big role in the decisions that were being made for her other than like we we found this one person that legit even when she wasn't like on call would come into the room and advocate for her because that was the that was a culture we had set for her so i think that's a big thing for me i think just in sharing with other moms is like make sure your circle around your kid whoever daily is seeing them is on the same page with you because it takes it truly takes a village to raise a kid it's not just the home it's where they go who they hang with the kids they're around like the, it all plays a big role in my opinion in how they continue to develop and thrive we love you like just getting so transparent because i know that sometimes like when we re revisit some of those moments you're just kind of like i feel like i could picture you just picturing literally being in that hospital maybe the smells like the, the lighting just all of it um and you talked about kind of just being like okay like if that's what we're doing now what in this kind of like almost just kind of like numb response and I, I feel like it was maybe a numb response because I mean the day of my daughter's diagnosis you know we got it via fax as we're sitting in his office and he's reading it off and then he prints us off graciously you know PDFs from Google on like what to expect from Angelman syndrome rather than being you know like hey like I've been in this field for 30 years so let me just talk to you really quick here's what we're like going to be looking at and instead he was just like, okay, take these with you. And I'm just like, okay, 
So I get her in the car. I called one family member um, who kind of, I like just kind of always go to. And I just was like, this just happened. And she's a nurse. So she like, I think for her too, she was like, whoa. Um, got in the car. I remember I was very like, I cried for a little bit, but then I was just like, I was angry. And so I dropped Ava off with my mom and I went to work and I just was like, I didn't even face it. I was just kind of like, Oh my gosh, is this really happening? Cause if some of you guys know, if you've listened to even like, I think like the first or second podcast that I like started this, I kind of share like I was adopted by my grandparents, but because both of my biological parents were born healthy, but environment and also just like body stuff that happened, both of them became special needs, um, special needs, not special needs parents. I'm a special needs parent. They became special needs. And so literally like just kind of sitting there like, wow, is that really what's happening? Like I have two special needs parents by the grace of God. I've, been able to come out and beat the odds of like everything that was spoken over my biological mom. They said she would never live past 18 and that if she did, she'd be a vegetable. Like there was no way she would be able to have kids. So by the grace of God, I'm here. And now I give birth to a child and I'm thinking like, Whoa, like, and I don't think I ever questioned myself. Like this isn't supposed to happen, but I just kind of felt like, Oh, okay. Like, of course it's going to be me, you know? Cause I just kind of felt like, I don't know. I'm like, I guess it's just going to be me. So I totally get that. I feel like that's part of the grieving process, which I'd love to talk about later. But um, Sonia, if you want to share. Um, so relating to you with your daughter in the NICU, I also didn't let anybody visit Canaan. Um, it was like one of the worst flu and RSV seasons. And we were told he'd probably only be there for a week. He went in with a an infection because right before I gave birth to him, I got a fever so they wanted to do just a seven-day treatment um, to make sure he didn't have any infections and make sure he was fine. But he also came out not breathing, so he had to be on CPAP. Thankfully, only a day and after that, he was recovered. But I didn't share that he was even born with my friends or, like, Facebook or anything until three days after he was born, which was Christmas. And my sisters were like, um, our friends are all asking, cause we told them you were in labor. Like, where's the baby? I'm like, I will tell them when I'm ready. And I forbade them from posting anything about it. And it wasn't because I was ashamed. I think I was processing being in the NICU, not imagining that we would be, although I did have complications. Um, and we had been told that he might go to the NICU, but he ended up going to the NICU for completely different reasons than my pregnancy complications. So it was like, nothing um nothing that we were prepared for really so i didn't know how to process that and i didn't want to process it publicly and i'm usually a very public person so this was like really really weird for me to kind of internalize and not share um and then with our diagnosis journey i also did not share anything at all not until canaan was 13 months did I share that he had developmental delays. My best friends knew and my family knew, um, well, my immediate family, but not anybody else. Like if you saw Kanan on social media, he's always happy and smiling, which is, you know, kind of who he is and a part of Angelman syndrome. But I'm just like, this is who he is. So it was, yeah, it was very isolating. I did really isolate myself in letting anybody in because I'm kind of the type of person who 
always has the answers. And I didn't have any. We were told by specialist after specialist that there was nothing wrong. Or when they did find out that he did have developmental delays, that, oh, we were never going to have an answer for his delays. And I just did not take that for an answer. So I went and I found out about Angelman syndrome on my own. So when we did get the results like four months later, it wasn't really a surprise. Um, and the benefit to that was that our doctor didn't give us any PDFs, didn't give us any any information. He's like, oh, I've only heard about this, you know, briefly in medical school when we, they cover rare syndromes and not anything that he know about. So I actually ended up giving him way more information than he even knew. But the one thing that was the blessing in that was that he didn't give me any oh, he will never walk, he will never talk, he will never, a lot of the horror stories that I hear, um, I kind of had drilled that into my own brain as far as kind of setting my expectations in a place where I was guarding my heart. Like I told, um, I shared the other day, came and said, thank you. And with Angelman syndrome, they're not supposed to be verbal ever, basically. They can communicate maybe with an AAC device. And that's what I've been like, okay, we've got to work on AAC. He's never going to talk. Or he might never. I never say never. He might never talk. And okay, I'm just going to be okay with it. I'm going to love, you know, love him the same, accept it, and kind of not set myself up to fail um, because I don't fail. So I just... When he said it, my fiance had just given him a drink of water from a water bottle, which like we've been working on. And he just looked at him and said, thank you. And I looked at Mark and I'm like, wait a minute, did he just hiccup? Is he choking? And Mark's like, no, he said, thank you. So we both started laughing, crying. And I'm like, there's no way. And I still couldn't believe it. Even though I saw it, I heard it. I, I just had kind of prepared my heart to not ever hear him talk or anything like that. So I think... A lot of the times, for me personally, I have fought so hard for him to get a diagnosis, fought so hard to get him walking, fought so hard for many things. But at the same time, I've also not always believed in what I was doing. So that was kind of like a big eye opener of, hey, you know what? Just because Andrew Ben Syndrome says he might never talk doesn't mean he actually might never talk. Like, and you need to not buy into that while you're, you know, walking this walk of not believing it. So it's like my heart and my mind are doing two different things um, with him. So, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that too, by the way. But I know as to hear kind of like this for all of us of like, hey, this is what is to be expected of your life. And to just kind of be like, okay, I'm going to like give my all, like I've said, where you're pushing forward, but there's moments where you're just kind of like, like you said, Sonia, like, is this even enough? And that's one thing, if you really knew me, you'd know, I struggle, I'm struggling with that all the time. It's like this constant battle of saying, you've got to remember like the value and the compound effect, right? So like the now what we're in is usually like this puzzle piece that we have. And so it's like, this doesn't feel like enough. But if you look at like the big grand scheme of things, you won't have a full picture if you don't put every puzzle piece in, right? And so it's like, we get so caught up because we feel like we have to have like the whole thing or even like just like a bunch of things to feel like, okay, like now, like I have enough, I'm doing enough because I can see all of it in front of me. So sometimes I think that that's where like, for me, my faith really comes in and it's like, okay, you say that you have faith in God, you say like 
like he can do anything, but do you really mean it? Because now here's what's happening. You're in a position that they're speaking that your child will never walk, never talk. The prognosis of their life is literally that they're going to like be super dependent on you. And so it's like, to me, like the way that I honor God is to say like, I love you so much that I'm expecting, not in a demanding way, but I expect radical healing and radical things to be done in my child's life to the point that they're going to be like, I don't know how that happened. And I'm talking like the doctor is saying like, I don't know how the heck that happened. And I'm going to say, you know, and so that's to me, like it fires me up, but there are days where you're just like, it does take a toll on you. Like it comes in these ways where sometimes like the wave just like takes you over. And I totally get that too. So I appreciate you for sharing that too. Um, Taylor, is there anything that you wanted to mention or? Um, I'd say I just, everybody's experience really speaks to me because I remember when we got the diagnosis and I remember them printing off papers and just reading from it and saying, well, I just really don't know, you know, from here, this looks like a fatal disorder. And they're just like saying the most negative things possible. And it's like, I feel like as a mom, we do our research and I start seeing more things that are positive and that does help. Because in the moment, you have all these negative things that come, and it's hard to see the positives in it. Um, so I do feel like connecting with all you moms that are going through it really helps because I feel like sometimes it does consume you. Because there's days where you have good days, and then there's days where you, you know, you're following, I follow a lot of the, um, the sites for ALD, and I see some things that I don't want to see, um, and it really affects me. Um, so I guess having my little one and going through the struggles that we go through um, and surpassing them really just brings a lot more positivity to my life. And I struggle with that. Sometimes I struggle with trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so this has definitely helped. I mean, on for a reason. So it just has helped me get past all these negative things that have been put in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that like comes to mind that I've been kind of like thinking about this a lot is like, this comparison that we can often have just in general. Like I think all of us struggle sometimes with like comparing ourselves to other people's lives or just even like the whole social media stuff of like, you know, I saw this one post. I can't remember one of you might've posted this, but it was like this mom who actually it wasn't, it was a different mom. She um, posted this picture of like her kind of like just waking up and then a really like put together version of herself next to it. And just like basically said like, remember what you're comparing yourself to isn't always like how it is to begin with. So kind of like this reminder of like, you're comparing yourself basically to like the best version or like, you know, like the most glammed up version of myself and you're not really seeing like the full picture. Do you guys ever feel like the comparison creeps in like as you are kind of navigating through the communities and maybe just in your own community or even just like, you know, trans, you know, going over into other communities, do any of you guys feel like the comparison portion of it is like challenging for you guys to navigate sometimes? So I'll space my struggle here. And this has happened since I had her. Um, every time I see a birth announcement, the first thing I look at is kids ears because of what I've been through with her ear. And I always see other kids ears that are normal and it puts a huge, you know, it, it just makes me have all the feels, <laughs> Um, that it's, you know, I always ask myself like, why, 
Um, but of course I get through it and I know, you know, that she's thriving and that there's, you know, it, we almost act like she doesn't have, you know, problems hearing because she's thriving so much. Um, but that is, it sounds selfish, but it is something that I do and that I notice that I do. And I catch myself, um, is, you know, just checking for that because it's pretty rare. (laughs) I feel like sometimes it does come off where you feel like, okay, this is like really selfish to be like, you're like, or like, this is like really mean to be like, why do they get, you know, a child that's typical and I, I have to go through this. You know, I, I've heard so many moms like talk about that. And so I get that, but I don't think it's selfish. I think we really have to kind of like change this language that we're speaking to ourselves or even to other people and just acknowledging like we have to like realize that these feelings are super valid and they're, they're appropriate, right? Like that, that makes you human as a person. Like we want what's best for our child. We want them to be healthy and everything to be like checked good. And, you know, and sometimes you're like, Oh my gosh, like I, I was, I did everything by the book and, you know, I, and for me, I'll tell you, like, I, I literally did everything by the book with Ava for pregnancy, like ate healthy, blah, 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 gave up coffee, you guys, gave up coffee, <laughs> obviously, you know, I gave up coffee with the other one too, but, um, and then to see, like, other people, like, smoking a pack of cigarettes while pregnant or smoking weed and, you know, whatever it was, like, to each their own, but to me, I was just like, dang, like, that sucks because, like, I really, like, was, like, nurtured from the get-go and you know and then this happened and so I think it's super valid but um, well I forgot to add um but I always revert back to like even if a child looks normal you still could they still could be suffering with something that you don't know so I do in the midst of that feel selfish but then I think back like wow maybe they are going through something that I don't know um so I mean like hurt like uh Jahira was saying the heart like they come out looking fine and really you are going through struggles. So, you know, not everybody plays a picture perfect role on social media because you really don't know what's going on behind those pictures. Yeah. I appreciate you for sharing that. Yeah. I think also a big thing with a lot of us that are on social media for me, like I live, so I do my business on social media. So my following is always involved in my life. And when I had my daughter, um, I had a big following at the time. And so in me sharing what was happening, it was very um, calculated. But once I like finally opened up and I was like, this is what's going on. This is why I haven't shared. This is this is our journey. I It wasn't like Sonia said, I like to know what's happening before I take a step to release that kind of information. Because for me, I like to know like, okay, where we're headed. So if I can't give you that, I'm not gonna give you any information just yet. And so when I finally did, I think that played a big role in the comparison game, I think, Um, for me. Like, I think people expected, like, I don't know, for you guys, once I got home, like, after the three months, so my daughter um, developed a oral aversion because she had so many tubes on her throat, in, out, constantly, she wouldn't eat. So we had to get a feeding tube placed in. So when we got home, people saw she's home, she's better, hallelujah. But what they didn't see was she's home, a new mom with a heart baby that is basically like not there. It's like a newborn baby at three months, right? So now you have to 
basically developed this baby from newborn, right? A new mom with a hard baby that isn't developed that now does not eat is eating through a feeding tube. So now I'm learning how to feed this baby through a feeding tube, but still not depend on the feeding tube. So now I need to come up with a plan, but then she has very low muscle tone. So how am I going to get, and all of this is happening, but all people saw was she got home. And so after that, it's like the, the check-ins and the prayers and all of this stuff stops. Right. And then now it's like, oh, okay, everything's okay. And then people just kind of forget that now as a mom, you are responsible for the, the recovery end of this for however long it takes. So like my daughter had to learn how to eat again. She had to learn how to sit. At, she ended up sitting at like a year. She ended up walking at like a year and a half. Um, she still doesn't speak very much. Um, she now eats. But, you know, these are all things that I think people don't see. And so then you fall back because you're like, these people think that everything's okay and it's not. And then I, that's where I found myself comparing. And I had to stop like you, they are not, um, they don't, their job is not to understand you because you were given her, like, this is your job. And I think social media just kind of magnifies that and, and makes us compare even more because it's so out there. So now I found myself like, oh, well, this person was all about her when I was in the hospital. But now look where they at when I'm struggling, when I'm crying, when I'm having a rough day, when I don't feel like, you know, moving today because I'm tired and I have to still get up and I have to still practice. And, and even though she doesn't need, I have to deal with it. And even though she can't communicate and she's frustrated and she's throwing a tantrum, no one's there to say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. You know what I mean? Like I have people, but like the community that was there for the the gist of that was so different and I think that's where I found myself like in the comparison game was with that like this person doesn't understand what I'm going through and it had to like grieve that process of like they don't need to understand me I need to understand me because it's not their journey it's mine it's funny my sister and I were just talking about how people compare or maybe idolize people on social media and I'm like oh I can't relate to that because I feel very much as this is me and I do play the highlight reel because I'm not gonna I'm not open about struggles as far as like personal like relationship struggles that sort of thing so I post happy moments but I didn't realize that I was like setting myself for unreal expectations with Kanan until Annie posted um her um Ava doing something on her um AAC device. And I was like, oh my gosh, it set me into a literal panic. I was like, Mark, we need to get on this. We need to get on the ball. Like Ava's doing this and blah, 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 blah. And I told Annie, Annie's like, okay, Ava's set seven, right? Ava's seven. Like Kanan is barely going to be two. Give yourself some grace, girl. And I was like, oh, wow, that was a big, dumb comparison of me because I'm not typically like when we were going through our, um, journey like in Kanan's first year I already had Malia so I knew what typical milestones look like and I used to tell our pediatrician and I used to tell Mark um hey look at this person's baby they're four months younger than Kanan and they're not doing the same things so for me it wasn't a like jealousy comparison it was a dude this is like a red flag because this is what he should be doing. Even though every single baby develops at their own pace and does their own thing, there were huge red flags that I was able to see through comparison on social media. So for me, it was a different type of comparison. Um, and then I did become jealous of 
dang, that person's kid's walking at, you know, eight months. And my kid's like at eight months can't even sit. Like, that's pretty sucky. But we didn't know what his diagnosis was. And we didn't know, you know, what our future was kind of going to hold at that point. So, um, and then going back to what we were talking about earlier with looking at people online that are similar to ours. Um, when I first found out about Angelman syndrome, I like went hashtag Angelman syndrome on Instagram. And so I was looking at all these kids and I saw some older ones and I immediately just like burst into tears and was like, okay, I can't, I can't handle that. Like older ones. It's one thing when they're babies, um, because they're supposed to be dependent on you. But when you see somebody who's 30 or 33 or whatever people my age, like, Whoa, that is, a world of difference and not something I'm ready to face. And we didn't, weren't even diagnosed. So then I was like, oh gosh, am I speaking like, you know, bad juju on myself and on Kanan and that sort of thing. So I think for me, social media was a blessing because I was able to find a community of moms. I was able to find out more about Angelman syndrome than the doctors knew than anybody. But there is um, a sense of loss too, when I see what other kids are doing that are his age, like, oh, I didn't realize that hurts so much to see them doing that. Sorry. Like, um, I was telling Ava, Halloween, which is one of my favorite holidays, because uh, I wasn't allowed to celebrate as a kid. So now, or before I had my kids, we used to go all out, costumes and whatnot. And then now with their, um, with their, costumes I like to go all out and my daughter loves makeup and I love makeup so we you know do this just bonding um for Halloween and then I was thinking about last year Kanan was a year so or not a year almost a year so not walking not talking normal in my opinion um and then this year I was looking forward to having him walk and say trick-or-treat like I have videos of Malia at a, um a year and a half saying trick-or-treat or no, not even a year and a half, like a year and a month <laughs> trick or treat and that sort of thing. So it really put me into a funk of, wow, this is really my life. Not that I was in denial at all, but it was like, this isn't the typical normal Halloween. I'm going to have to make adjustments and I'm going to have to grieve um, and give myself that grief to grieve. Sometimes you feel like if you're grieving, you don't love them and you're not grateful for them. And I'm someone who always lives a life of gratitude, is always looking at the glass half full and whatnot. So it was kind of a struggle to be in a funk over something as simple as Halloween because it shouldn't put me in a funk. Um, I just want to say to like, I'm really proud of you. Like I know sometimes as we're crying, we're like, oh, I got to stop crying and like, I am just a huge advocate. I think you know, Sonia, like I'm a huge advocate of like letting your feelings out because I didn't the first couple of years with Ava. And Taylor, I think you were even there my first real like big meltdown or whatever like episode. Thanksgiving, um, it was like the first moment where it was like um, the grandkids were taking a picture with grandma and Ava was being totally fine. Like, I honestly don't think anybody was looking at her like, oh, okay, we can tell. Like, she's not a typical, like, little girl. Like, we can tell. I don't think anyone was thinking that. But for me in that moment, it felt like this huge magnifying glass, like, just went over Ava. 
and everyone was like, oh, do you see that? Like, look what she's doing. And like, she was just, you know, just like not wanting to stand still. And I was like sweating. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I just lost, I started bawling. And it like became this like big episode that didn't even need to be an episode because I didn't allow myself to feel those feelings. So like for me, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And I like, I encourage it because of the moments that I didn't, it like exploded in the times that it didn't. It was like so unhealthy. So I just applaud you. Like, I just, I love you so much. And I'm just really proud of you. Like still being very new to your diagnosis and to like, just be so transparent already and just be willing to step forward and say like, I'm going to share, even though I'm still figuring this out, even though it's still very raw, like, I'm just really proud of you because I don't know if maybe I would have done that, you know, a couple months into my journey, but I'm just really proud that you have been able to just step forward and say, okay, I'm just going to share because if I can help someone else, like, then that's what I'm here for. So thank you. I love you so much. Yeah. Um, Crystal, is there anything that you wanted to say before we're going to have to make a part two, you guys, because um, you guys are just pretty amazing. And I honestly could talk to you forever, but some of us have five months old. Wow. Five months old that we need to attend to and we have babies that we need to put down. So we will definitely wrap this up and make it a part two, three or five. So, but Crystal, before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to say? Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, well, a few things very quickly. Um, Sonia, you're not alone. Till this day, I have my moments where I just cry and cry and cry. And then I'm like, all right, girl, you got it out of you. Move it on. On to the next. Um, but that's something so healthy to acknowledge your feelings, acknowledge um, the fact that, like, you are feeling this. Like, we're humans. We're moms. Um, and we're women. And most of all, women are very, very emotional. So not only are we women, but now we're moms to warriors. So I've always said, like, it's okay to acknowledge those feelings and then just not sit in those feelings, move on from them, and then like overpower them. Um, but I wanted to say that um, from the like comparison, when I first had Riley, and there's times where I still sometimes do it today, but when I first had her, I used to compare so much to others because I would see um, children walking, I would see children um, interacting with each other at the park, running around, um, knowing that, or I guess negatively knowing that my daughter wouldn't be able to do that because I already, I guess, declared, oh, she's not going to be able to do that. Um, but I've learned now to like, I guess you can say, um, add, I, how do you say, I guess like on the tip of my tongue, but for example, like we're at the park, my daughter can't walk on her own. So she uses um, a walker or crutches. And I've learned to like put myself into it so that she can feel like she's no different. So if kids are running, I have her and I'm running with her. Um, but it is hard. Like there are moments where com comparing is such a hard thing because you see other children doing things that you want your child to do but what we don't know is that there's a reason right and we're learning with these reasons and we're learning as they grow and and the trials that they go through are only not only making them stronger but making us stronger um and i shared riley's story since pregnancy i don't know why because i was always a private person but i feel like and this is funny but i feel like god was like i need you to share your story 
like now. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't really like people like that. But okay, I guess. <laughs> but now I love people. And now like I see her life has changed so many other lives and not just where we live in New Jersey, all over the world. Like I've spoken to people in um, Iraq, in Australia, in New Zealand, like at places I've never even imagined. And the one thing I wanted to say before I just be quiet because I can keep going and talking is that we don't realize that when we tell our story, the lives that can be changed in that moment. So sometimes we're afraid to share our story, not knowing that the person right next to you is going through something similar and doesn't want to talk about it. But the moment you open up and start talking, they're like, oh my God, I needed to hear you say that because I'm going through this and this and this and that. Um, so I applaud you women because I don't want to curse, but you're some bad ASSs. <laughs> <laughs> you are so I'm like talking on mute oh yes I'm here for it and if you want to cuss cuss I mean whatever makes you feel good but you're right I do want to encourage though that there is like this new flip of comparison that I'm looking at where it's like we can compare and I think in a way we should encourage it but compare in the sense of like okay like Sonia you you noticed that I was working on the AAC device with Ava so now you can compare in a sense of say, oh, let me put that on my radar and like now so that I can start implementing that with my child sooner. Again, like I compared as soon as you said that, I was like, I, my daughter's seven, you guys. You guys will have babies still. My daughter's seven. And here I am like, wow, did I really miss the bus? Am I too late? Like, you know, I've been fighting for her independency of walking for so long. And like, that was my focus. And you know, then now we've got that and it's like, am I too late? So like, you know, you still struggle with that. So I think for us, if we can just find this place where we start comparing in a way where it's like, okay, what are they doing that we can apply pieces of that into our current life or make adjustments of like, okay, maybe we're not ready for that yet, but let's start preparing groundwork to get ready for that. So that's one thing I think if we can just change the way that we look at comparison too and, and turn it into a positive, right? Like I'm always talking about whatever negative thoughts you have, like you've got to assign them to a healthy destination. Otherwise they are going to manifest still in negativity. Like you have to put it into something positive. And so if we do find ourselves comparing, okay, they're doing an AAC device. Okay. I'm not, okay. What could I do at this moment to what can I control? right? You can't control the fact that you don't have an AAC device at the moment, but what can you control? I can control how I start shifting how we're communicating to my child. I can start shifting what resources I'm bringing in, what conversations I'm having with teachers and like starting to brainstorm like a game plan, right? Like I look at, especially with the Angelman community, all these younger children and all these younger moms that, and Sonia, you're a younger mom to me. Okay, girl. Um, and it's just like, you guys are doing so much more than I think I was doing at that time. And so I'm just like so in awe, but I think you're right, Crystal. If we start to share our story, we're really going to allow other people to not stay in this place of survival mode. And that for me is I feel like we have so many people, especially special needs moms that have identified themselves so heavily to the syndrome that they're like bound to it. And they really don't know how to operate outside of that. And so if we can start to say like, here's my story, but this doesn't define us, we'll define it. Let me help you be free from it. Like you don't have to be bound to it, right? So that is something that I'm super passionate about. 
I'm so glad that you guys have taken time today. We're going to have to make like a part five. I can feel it. So I love all of you. And um, we'll wrap up here.